mom says, all right, she, she, she connives away to get her husband to send Jacob away to some relatives. She said, I don't want him to marry some woman from around here. You know how terrible they are. I want you to send him away to my relatives so that maybe he can meet a nice girl. And the, the blind, old, sort of deaf Isaac kind of plays along, says, sure, whatever. So he sends Jacob away to his, his uncle Laban's house. Now, uh, this, is, this is where Jacob is. Jacob has the promise of being the oldest son, even though he's not. He's got all the privileges, and he's got actually the uh, blessing of being the oldest son, and yet here he is running for his life to a faraway place from some five to 800 miles away across pretty open, hostile desert, and he has nothing. And that's where we meet, that's where the beginning of this story starts. So I want you to follow along with me. If you have your own Bible, Genesis 29, if you don't, it's going to be up here. This is kind of a long passage of Scripture, uh, but I want to give you the full story before we kind of pick it apart and see how it applies to you, because this might be one of the more relevant passages in the entire Old Testament. Okay, here we go. Genesis 29. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. Now the stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We're from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? That's his Jacob's uncle. And they said, We know him. He said to him, said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it's still high day. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together, and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban and his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was, of Rebe- he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. And then Laban said to Jacob, Because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Okay, let me stop just for a second to explain something that's important to the story. Okay, the idea about Leah's weak, Leah's weak eyes, all right, it's an idiom. It means she was ugly. Okay, uh, the, another translation can say she had soft eyes. Okay, um, and so that, that way you can kind of take this to say, you know, if someone asks you, is she pretty? You're well, she has beautiful eyes. That's, that's kind of what the biblical story is, the biblical writer is telling us, is she's an unattractive person. She's not the person that you would fall in love with when you first meet her because of her looks, okay? So, um, and you can imagine that she has sort of a rough time because it goes on to say, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So that means not only does she have a pretty face, but she's got a really nice body, okay? And everybody notices that, all right? So here we go. Uh, verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any, any other man. Stay with me. 
So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, okay, listen to this and think, would you say this, guys, to your future father-in-law? Would you say this? Give me my wife, then I go into her. You know, biblically, go into her, right? Okay, just making sure, all right? Uh, For my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be the servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Remember Jacob in the past, the deceiver, tricking his brother, tricking his father? He's getting his now. What is this you've done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, it's not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of the one, and we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So Jacob said, did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. All right. So Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban another seven years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he's given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore his name was Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Chapter 30. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from, from you the fruit of the womb? Remember this. This will be important later. Then she said, Here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her, and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestling, I've wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. I encourage you to read the rest of the story, but we're going to stop there. What's the story about? I mean, there's a lot happening here. You know, there's betrayal, there's deceit, there's jealousy. I mean, it's, it's a perfect soap opera, right? And, but the, the, I think the story is really about saviors. The main characters in the story are looking for ultimate fulfillment. They're looking for someone that will fill the emptiness that's inside of them because of things that life has thrown at them. But they're looking for ultimate fulfillment in the wrong places. When I read a story, I see myself. I see many people I know. I, I see human, humanity. This is our, this is our story. Um, and so when we look for fulfillment, we often look in relationship or in work or other things like that. 
Let me tell you, this is what I think. I think Jacob, he thinks marrying the ultimate beauty will fill the void of his past failures. That's what I, that's what I think. He, he sees her, and she, I mean, she is amazingly beautiful. And he thinks, if I can have her, it'll fill this emptiness. I think Leah wants to make up for her feelings of rejection by having the ultimate romantic love. By having someone who will look at her and say, you're beautiful, I love you. And I think that Rachel longs for eminence. She's the second daughter. Yes, she's more beautiful than her older sister, but she's not the first wife. And she can't have kids. So she's looking for eminence. And the way she's looking for it is if she could just have a child, then she could gain her status back. Let's look more closely at Jacob. Remember I said Jacob's name means deceiver. And he tricked, he got where he is through trickery. And now he's reaping the consequences by being tricked himself. Jacob has to flee for his life across the desert, and he's got nothing. He has no family, he's got a death threat, and he has no money, no prospects whatsoever. He's penniless when he arrives at his uncle's door, and then... He sees her. I mean, his reaction when he sees her is pretty telling. Pastor Tim Keller um, points out that you can tell that Jacob is completely smitten by the way that he bargains for Leah. Listen to this. I'm going to go back into chan- in, in 29, chapter 29, starting at verse 15. Listen really closely, and you'll see how much he wants her by these words. Okay? Then Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? They're just talking about money, you know, how he's going to compensate him for working for him. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. All right, perspective. Standard wage for a month of work back then was what they call one shekel, or one and a half shekels. It's a weight of silver, okay? So the standard bride price for a wife back then, the man was expected to pay his for the family for the loss of an extra pair of hands to work, okay? So the standard bride price back then was about 30 shekels, all right? So that means Jacob is offering far more than anything you could imagine, for Rachel. Think of it, 30 times 12 for seven years, that's 84 shekels. The normal price is 30. Jacob is, bar- he's not bargaining at all. He's, I mean, he's basically giving himself away. That's how you tell it. He is really in love with her. And the other way, of course, as you can tell, by the way, after the seven years, he's like, let me go into her. Okay, I mean, he's, now, he's done this un, 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 terribly foolish bargain, and then for seven years he has to wait and watch. And he's, you, know, you know how it is, guys. All right, before you're married. He's, I, yeah, and then you finally come to the day, okay? And this is where he is. Jacob is head over heels, totally in love and in lust with this woman, and he cannot wait to make her his. She, she's mine. Now I'll find fulfillment. He's placing all of his hopes on this one woman right here. And he thinks, if I can just have her, then I can, 
I can avoid all my failures from the past. Okay, Leah. Let's talk about Leah. Like all of us, Leah wants to be loved. But Leah is the ugly older sister. She's always in her sister's shadow. Uh, you know, I, I, can, I know what this is like. I, I've got two brothers, and they are really, really handsome. They are really handsome. And I remember days in high school where girls who were my age would come to me Talking about my brother, my youngest brother, who was in the 8th grade. I was in the 12th grade. He wasn't even in high school yet. And they would go, wow, I wish I was in high school next year when your brother Nick gets here. <laughs> what am I? Chop suey? I mean, what's wrong? But, so, you see, I think all of us, in one way or another, have been looked at, and for some reason, someone thought we were, we were wanting. There was something that we didn't bring to the table they wanted. And maybe for you, it wasn't your looks. Maybe you're, I mean, you're all really good-looking group of people. Okay, but maybe it was something else. But this is Leah. Okay, and then along comes Jacob. He's a distant relative, so he's safe back then. That's kind of what they looked for wives and husbands among distant relatives. I know today we're like, this is weird, but that was normal back then. All right, he's apparently he's pretty sharp because Laban gives him a pretty good job right up front. He's a marriageable age. He's not rich, but he's clever and he's charming, and he has nothing. He's the perfect match for Leah who has nothing to offer. Think about this. The way um, Laban thrusts her into his bed secretly makes us think maybe Laban thought he couldn't get rid of her. Poor Leah. Poor terribly unloved, unrejected, I mean rejected Leah. There's only one problem. He falls for the beautiful younger sister. Then her crafty father does this terrible thing, and Leah becomes the ultimate tool to, for Laban to get what he wants. He wants free labor for 14 years, basically what he wants. And he uses this, this poor, vulnerable young woman as his tool to do that. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it would feel like to wake up next to your husband on your wedding day and have him roll over and instead of looking longingly at you and say, I'm so glad it's you for him to go. What are you doing here? You're Leah. And then for him to storm out of the tent and go to the father-in-law's tent and go, I wanted Rachel. What is she doing in my tent? How would that feel if you, if you were her, if you were Leah? She's crushed. You can just imagine how awful that must have been. And on top of that, he then negotiates with her father to marry the beautiful younger sister to bring her into this relationship too, as if it's not dysfunctional enough already. Her life must have been living hell. And you can see her pain splashed across the, the words of the Bible, read between the lines. Uh, if some, in my study notes in my Bible, I, I, I noticed um, that each of these sons, it, in the text you can tell, they have, they have names, and the names must mean something, but I, the study notes highlighted what the names actually mean. She's desperately in love with Jacob. She wants Jacob to love her more than anything else. And when she names her sons, you can see this longing she has. For example, Reuben means, literally, see a son. See? See what I did? So she says, now that I've given my, my husband a son, he will love me. Simeon. Simeon sounds like the Hebrew word for herd. So Leah's hope is maybe now that I've had a second son, my husband won't hate me 
Or at least he'll hear me when I speak to him. But he doesn't. He still loves Rachel more. And so she has a third son by him, Levi. Levi sounds like the Hebrew word for attached. And Leah's hope is now this time my husband will be attached to me because I've I've had three sons for him. And in that culture back then, that was an amazing privilege because that was one of the main jobs of a wife is to produce heirs for her husband, especially someone who's probably got as much potential as Jacob does. Judah is a little different. Judah sounds like the word for praise. Notice there's no mention of her husband when Judah is born. She says, now I will praise the Lord. And I think Leah is starting to grasp what we today would call the good news, the gospel, okay? The good news that there's someone out there who's better and higher and more dependable than anyone else who has paid a high price to bring you into his family. I think she's starting to get it just a little bit on the edges of it. No doubt, Jacob felt the pressure of this woman's longing. You, you couldn't live with Leah and not know that she desperately wants you to love her, Okay? but he he can't find it in himself to do it. And you can imagine how that pressure to fulfill her heart's desire would weigh on her. So she puts all her hope, her fulfillment of fulfillment in Jacob. And finally, when Jacob did not change his feelings towards her, Judah comes along and she's beginning to catch it. Now let's look at Rachel quickly before our time is up. At first, Rachel has it all. She's the favored wife of her father's up-and-coming right-hand man. Uh, Then Leah uh, begins to have all of these sons. And Rachel realizes that Jacob's love and affection is not enough for her. And so you see this when she comes to Jacob in Genesis 31 and 2. She, says, she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God is withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Jacob knows he can't be her God. He can't be her Savior. And grasping after this esteem that she wants, that Leah has, she does something very foolish. She gives her maid to marry Jacob. And it was a custom back then. If you read in the story of Abraham, you'll see Sarah did the same thing when she couldn't have a baby. And it has disastrous results, all right? And it doesn't make her have more esteem. She doesn't feel any better. Poor desperate Rachel. You can see her longing in the names of Bilhah's children too, which are legally hers, so she gets to name them. So Dan was the first son, and his name means judged, or it sounds like the Hebrew word for judged. And Rachel's hope is that she'll be judged worthy like Leah. She wants esteem. Uh, Naphtali, the second son who was born, sounds like the Hebrew word for wrestling. And you get the idea that her hope is that she's bested her sister in esteem. She's surpassed her. Rachel is putting all of her hope on her kids No child can stand up to your hopes and dreams. If you put them on them, disaster will happen. Um, Either you'll have a son or a daughter who is so afraid of disappointing you that they'll stay right by your side their whole life and they'll become mama's boys and mama's girls and then they'll never reach their potential and you'll be disappointed in them. Or on the other side, you could have children who cannot stand how you push them, and how you put your hopes on them, and they move as far away from you as they can possibly get in order to stay away from it. Either way, you don't get what you want when you put your hopes on your children. Um, 
for we I teach a class here at the universities and one of the things we deal with is students whose parents have high expectations and you can read about them in the newspaper uh, every year dozens of students in Beijing kill themselves uh, and university students because they can't stand up to the pressure partially from their family so if, if I could give you any warning do not put all of your hopes and dreams on your kids they can't stand up under it no one can now let's talk about the gospel real quick before we're done have you seen the movie Jerry Maguire Has anybody ever seen this movie before Okay, it's an American movie, and it's about a guy who's a, a sports agent who recruits guys to be football players or baseball players. And he's their agent, and he gets all the extra stuff for them, like commercials and, you know, all that stuff where they make all the extra money. All right, so Jerry Maguire is this really self-fulfilled, self-sufficient man who strikes out on his own. And um, surprisingly enough, you can see the gospel a little bit. You can see what the gospel's not very clearly in this movie. Because here's what happens. He meets this young woman who becomes his secretary, and uh, she falls in love with him head over heels, and, but he doesn't really notice her, kind of like Leah. And then at the end of the movie, he totally he realizes it, that he, he loves her, but, but she's, he's already alienated her by his behavior. And so finally, there's this one scene very, at the very end with this climax where she's with a group of girlfriends, and they're commiserating about how awful Jerry Maguire is. And Jerry Maguire comes into the middle of this situation, and he's trying to win her back. And so he gives this really impassioned speech, and, you know, just pours it on, and the whole theater's really quiet. And finally, he says this one phrase that just every woman in the whole place in, just drew their breath in. <gasps> when he said this, he said, you complete me. And you could hear a pin drop in that room. And she says, you had me at hello. <laughs> and then they rush into each other's arms, and they kiss. And that's not, the, the first time I saw that movie, I thought, that is an awesome line. I'm going to remember that for when I find the one, okay? Because, you know, if I said to her, you complete me, I mean, what, what was she, she's going to do that. She's going to run into my arms, and that'll be it. But there's only one problem with that. She can't complete him. No one can. That's exactly the mistake that Jacob and Leah and Rachel are making. They're looking at the other person and saying, he will complete me, she will complete me, she will complete me, and they're missing the one person who will really complete them, the person who made a covenant with the grandfather two generations ago. With time and experience and being married, I've realized that no one can complete me except Jesus. I married this woman right here. She is hot. All right, she is far more than I could have ever hoped for. Not only is she hot, she's really smart, she's fun. It's like having a sleepover with your best friend. You remember what that was like when you were nine? You never wanted to go home. Your parents had to drag you out the front door, and you, oh, you wanted to go back the next weekend. That's what being married to Abby is like. It's like the best sleepover you ever had, and you'd never have to go home. It's awesome. But she's not perfect. There are times when we disappoint each other. There are times when we don't fulfill our expectations. Because, why? Because she, she's a human being, just like I am. And she's limited. Even if she was a perfect wife, and she is, by the way. <laughs> uh, even if she was perfect without any flaw or sin, because she's a limited human being, there are things about her. She's a woman that I don't understand. And I need guys around me to help me. Okay? And to, to fill some of those needs. She's the same thing for her. She needs women around her. I, I can't fulfill her. She's not perfect. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. No one is perfect except one person, 
And he's described in the New Testament this way. We flash that up there, please? Romans chapter 11, 33 through 36. This is how that one person is described. He's, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who's given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If you're looking for fulfillment in someone else, they can't say, you can't say that about them. They are not from him, to him, through him, all things. They're a human being. Now, implications. Number one. A lot of times people, after, I give a, after people give a message like this, you're like, okay, so that sounds good. How do I work this out? Well, I'm going to give you some homework. I'd like for you to go to your small group if you're in one. If, uh, if you're not, maybe grab some friends here. Take them out to lunch. Talk about where you are looking for ultimate fulfillment. This is what the body of Christ is for. We're supposed to coach each other into this. Okay? Secondly, the one takeaway. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who completes you. Your kids can't do it. Your spouse can't do it. Your job can't do it. Whatever else you think of will not do it. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know about him, I, don't, I, I would invite you to come up front after we're done, and uh, we can explain more fully than I've had time. So can I pray for us? And uh, then we're going to close in a few minutes. Let's pray. Father, you're so good and you're so great uh, that 4,000 years ago, you're putting these people in this situation and you're teaching them that you are the end all be all. You complete us. We ask, Father, that you'll help us to be able to turn our eyes from the things that we think complete us towards you because then we'll have better marriages, we'll have better relationships with our kids, we'll have better times at our jobs because we won't put so much pressure on them. We pray that this week you'll help us to identify where that is that we're doing that. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.